Happy Friday, everybody. Today, you get one amazing guest in the first half of the show, and the second half is our weekly wrap-up with Chris Michaels and myself. Sit back, grab yourself a cup of coffee or whatever it is that you're into. You're listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden here on the America Out Loud Network. America Emboldened. Greg, I feel emboldened. You don't know the founding fathers. You don't know what they did. You don't know what they sacrificed. We have lost touch with the principles in the Constitution. Nobody's read the Declaration of Independence. You are voting for socialism, and you got what you voted for. Welcome, bold Americans, to yet another episode of America Emboldened. As always, I'm your host, Greg Bolden, here on the America Out Loud Network. We are very glad to bring you today's episode. You might have heard just about a few weeks ago, I watched a movie called The Fall of Minneapolis, and I reviewed that film. And today, I'm going to have Liz Collin, one of the producers, and her book that inspired that work. And she is a multi-Emmy Award winner in the field of journalism. For over 20 years, Liz has worked both as a reporter and also as an anchor in the state of Minneapolis. She wrote the book, They're Lying the media, the left, and the death of George Floyd. And her work in that book has since become that documentary that I reviewed just a few weeks ago, The Fall of Minneapolis. That film has now been seen by millions of individuals, and it's invoking a strong response of both likes and dislikes. And I'm going to bring Liz on here to set the record straight. And we also have my good friend, Chris Michaels, that will be joining us today as we do our Friday recap. Liz, welcome to America Emboldened. Greg, thank you so much for for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, I'm glad to have you here. Let me tell you, uh, I learned something here. Uh, speaking about this topic is almost as popular as speaking about whether or not the mRNA vaccines cause injuries, because this was absolutely cancerous in the feedback that I got from the left and the right. Uh, what are you hearing since millions of people have watched this? Has it been just as divided your work or have people come along a little bit from where they were just a few years ago? Yeah, I think there there definitely is power in truth, and that was the point of putting this this out there and making it free for people. Um, I think we're up to more than five million views at this point, and it hasn't even been a month uh, of putting the, this film out. And I would say overwhelmingly, it's positive. People are very upset. Um, that they, that they were lied to. Uh, we have put all of the research uh, up for people to see themselves on the fall of Minneapolis.com. This is a documentary. This is all evidence based, and people can take a look uh, take a look at things themselves. If if there are complaints, it's the fact that uh, I'm married to a police officer. How dare that be the case in this country? And uh, I'm usually called names, but beyond that, no one has yet to dispute the actual facts of the documentary. And I wasn't going to bring that up, but since you're bringing up that you're married to a police officer, I'll go back to when your book first came out, which I'm familiar with. Uh, people attacked your husband. Uh, his name is Bob Kroll. Am I, am I correct in that? Yeah, that's right. Yep. Yes. And so when they were attacking your husband, they were painting him as a white supremacist leader of right. the police union. Is that correct? Yes, that that is uh, the, basically everyone is a, a white supremacist if you're affiliated with the uh 
police, it, it seemed like in the wake of, of George Floyd. But yeah, we had uh, cancel culture come after us in, in full effect. Uh, Bob was a longtime Minneapolis uh, police lieutenant. He served for 32 years uh, before retiring, as many officers uh, re- retired or left early uh, in, in the wake of all of this. But but yeah, you're right. That's uh, I'm always uh, upfront about my, my relationship. But we'd been married for several years by the time this happened. Uh, but all of a sudden, our marriage became uh, an issue, and I was demoted uh, o- over that. Uh, was never allowed to anchor the news again um, because there was this very dangerous narrative and I saw it for myself how the mainstream media pushed it and didn't care about the facts in this case. Well, I'm one of those journalists that when I watched the video footage, I thought that what I saw was a little bit different than what your documentary presented. And as somebody who supports uh, our police, as somebody who has police in my family, Uh, I was divided with my own family members back during the George Floyd because I was sitting there going, this guy was on him for a good amount of time with bystanders saying, could you please check on him? Why didn't he at least check on him in that moment? Of course, my my family was first to say, you don't know what's going on in the life of a police officer. You don't know what their training is. But there's some facts that came out in your documentary that I simply wasn't aware of. Uh, I took the uh, court case at face value. And so I want to kind of go through some of those today with you, uh, because I think that that's the main talking points of this film. One of them is the fact that the police chief lied on the stand, which I was completely unaware of. I thought, and I bought into that narrative and people can, you know, I've been attacked for this saying I'm a poor journalist for this. And I'm going, I'm following the court evidence and what a police chief says, uh, police chief said that this was not a technique being on the shoulder blade around the neck that was ever taught to the police. Your film explosively not only uh, debunks that, but you show the manual. You interview other police officers and say this is the exact technique that we're uh, being taught in the academy. How come it takes your film for me to learn about this? How come more people aren't aware that there was somebody that took an oath on the stand and lied to everybody? Well, the, the lies began very early on, Greg. This is the first time Minneapolis police withhold body camera footage from the public. Again, this is a nearly 20-minute interaction with George Floyd, but we're only allowed to see the viral Facebook clip. And as far as this MRT that you're referring to, this is when I sort of realized for myself that there's a lot more at work here. And it's the very next day after May 25th, 2020, when the chief and the mayor quickly come out and say, whatever, uh, you know, Derek Chauvin is, is doing and whatever this cop is doing out there, we have no idea. This is not something we've trained for. Uh, but then I go online to an online document that's been there for years, the Minneapolis Police Training Manual, and I notice that there are two pages just mysteriously missing from that manual. Um, so it's why I called my book, They're Lying, The Media, The Left, and the Death of George Floyd. And I sort of was chronicling that my, myself because I obviously wasn't allowed to, to report on the, the story, but I was passing along this information like, you know, they're actually lying and it's our job to push back on this because you could just see how the, you know, the wheels were sort of coming off of this, this runaway train. Um, but, but yeah, MRT was, it was a big, uh, big part. And I also go into my book in great detail into Chief Arredondo's history, which I think plays a role in all of this. Uh, as well. And you kind of did have the perfect players in the perfect positions uh, for this to play out. But this really sent a message uh, when you have the head of training and you have the chief of police who actually go on the stand just 10 months later and they are under oath and, and say this exact thing is what you're, you're saying, that MRT is, you know, that they don't recognize uh, th- this maneuver. And, and you're right. All of these uh, officers in the film clearly say that's not the case. 
And the other part that I, I thought was very interesting is this accusation that the film creates. And then I started digging into it. And I actually believe that I unearthed a little bit more than the film, but that the FBI altered the autopsy report. Can, can you talk a little bit more about what you have? And then I'll share a little bit about uh, what I have, see what overlap we have. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure how people have spun that into, um, <laughs> you know, everybody's obviously allowed to, to think what, what they want, but we don't we don't actually say that the FBI altered the case. The, the points that are made is the, the FBI is called in uh, within just a few hours of this happening on, on May 25th. Again, something that's never happened before in any Minneapolis case, that the uh, the, the feds are involved that that early. So we, we document the fact, all part of public documentation, that uh, George Floyd's autopsy is complete with 12 hours of his death. This is the official and only official autopsy uh, to this day uh, by Dr. Andrew Baker. Obviously, they have to wait a bit for toxicology results and whatnot. Uh, But that document itself talks about no bruising, no strangulation, no asphyxiation. Um, He has, uh, we we later learn, of course, three times the lethal limit of fentanyl, methamphetamine, 75% blockage in one artery to his heart. There's also a pelvic tumor that there's more to say about um, testing when it comes to to that. But but medical professionals have kind of described George Floyd, sadly, as a a bit of a ticking time bomb uh, with everything that was happening. So instead of releasing the initial autopsy that that shows uh, all of this, you have these these meetings that take place with prosecutors over the course of nearly a week. And you see this narrative change. And this is all, again, they they keep track of all of their meetings, the prosecutors uh, with Dr. Dr. Baker. And Dr. Baker himself um, has said uh, in court documents that the pressure he was under uh, to come to a certain conclusion. And that's also documented um, in, in the case as well. Did you ever unearth where some of that pressure was coming from? Because when I was doing research into this, I actually discovered that uh, one of the leading uh, doctors in Washington, D.C. was the one that was telling him that it needed to show yeah. that it was, uh, he was, fixation. he was threatening to take out an, an op-ed and basically call Dr. Baker, um, on what happened. He wanted the, the PR person to be fired for Hennepin County. So yeah, we're well aware of, um, of all of that. Sadly that, you know, the film itself could have been six hours, but we had to cut out certain, certain details. Uh, but, but really the, 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 the point of the entire autopsy is sort of the point of all of this. Why is all of this information being kept uh, from the public? And are we okay with our government, with our media sort of crafting th- this message? And here we are three years later having to deal with all of the, the consequences. You know, there's a reason we called it the fall of Minneapolis. I so far have not run into any per- one person that can point to anything being better um, in, in Minneapolis since this all happened. Well, I, I believe the FBI connection here, and sorry if I misrepresented what you felt the film uh, put out there, and you're correct, it didn't state that the FBI said that. That was part of my research and looking at the fact that after the FBI got involved, after they do the press conference and they go out there in front, they do approach this doctor to speak with Dr. Baker. That is well documented at this point in time, which tells me that the FBI is once again using their coercion in order to influence the judicial system, which Chris Michaels, who's on with us, we we speak about this often. I mean, we're seeing it right now with a weaponized justice system under the uh, Biden administration, Uh, what they choose to look the other way for what they choose to do. And I find it interesting that really, this has really divided people into like a left and right politics, but I don't find myself left or right. I find myself libertarian. And at the end of the day, what, what I'm looking at is the fact that 
politically, you have one side that said you can't trust the court systems. And now that side's telling you, you can trust the court system. They did the right thing. We're sitting here every time we come onto our show saying, can we trust the government and the FBI with what they did with the Twitter files, with what they're doing with uh, controlling the dialogue? And so I, I just thought that that was a really important part of your movie uh, to point out there. I see Chris, you, you unmuted. Go ahead, Chris. I think that a lot of what we're seeing here is potentially staged. Do you agree with that, Liz? Uh, and what I mean by stage, I don't mean things, the event that occurred is fake. I mean that there are a lot of players involved here that want a specific outcome. And that's what, exactly what they got. Yeah, I mean, we, we I always get the, this question a lot. Um, I, and to think that, you know, people are actors and whatnot, that's certainly not the case. I know Derek Chauvin well. He's definitely in prison. He's been stabbed 22 times after, you know, and, and that's something I wanted oh, to yeah. go to, too. When you when you speak right. to just the, um, the FBI's involvement, I just wanted to go back to that, that nine days after we raised the issue of the FBI's involvement in this case, you have a former FBI informant who stabs Derek Chauvin in, in prison uh, 22 times. Uh, so there's, there's more to say about that. But I don't disagree with what you're saying, Chris, as far as staged. You really did have the, there's much to say about the Attorney General of Minnesota, Keith Ellison, right. a long history uh, of hating hating the police. Ultimately, he ends up putting five police officers in prison in a very short amount of time in Minnesota. Um, and, uh, you know, you have you have these politicians fanning the flames from the very beginning and not passing on on facts. So and you also have uh, many, you know, peaceful protesters, as you recall, uh, being being shipped in, uh, you know, the, the very next day. That's uh, also documented as well um, with how many people were, were basically ready to go and these paid protesters uh, to be here. Um, and, you know, the match was was struck in Minneapolis and spread across the country. Right. So that's what I mean. Uh, it just seems this whole event was so well coordinated that it, it, for the reasons that you bring up, people that were being paid and bust in, um, this narrative had to go the way it went. And we've got people from Washington, D.C. pushing this whole story in a direction to basically create a schism throughout the United States during that whole summer. Um, did you see any fallout? with the local police department? Like what were the consequences of all of this? Uh, yes. I mean, the fallout continues to this day. You had a, a police department that was nearly 900 uh, police officers strong at the beginning of May of 2020. In fact, they were planning to add several hundred uh, just due to the, the population and whatnot. And now you have a department uh, here three years later that they barely have 500 uh, officers at, at this point. So down by nearly 40 percent. You have crimes that simply never happened in, in Minneapolis. It was a pretty idyllic uh, Midwestern city uh, before before all of this, uh, carjackings were not even tracked before. And, uh, you know, there are hundreds upon hundreds of carjackings alone every year, record homicides ever since 2020, uh, numbers never seen uh, in Minneapolis before. I mean, I, I think it's the average now is 21 vehicles are stolen every day in, in Minneapolis. Wow. Again, just things that you never, ever uh, yeah. heard of before. Right. Also, one other little piece of conjecture that I always entertain do you think that this whole movement of defunding the police is going to lead to a privatized police force? 
Yeah, I think that there's there's a lot to be said about that. You do have, you know, these cities that are, are kind of forced into these consent decrees, uh, you know, but pushed by the, the federal government. And um, we've obviously seen that that elsewhere and what happens as a result of, of that. But but again, even, um, you know, it's sort of like the public seems to fall for this kind of again and again, which I don't completely understand the spoon fed this this narrative, you know, even this incident itself being, you know, the most racist uh, police interaction in U.S. history, then why is nobody discussing the black officer uh, who is in prison uh, also, but the black officer who arrested George Floyd? And we talked, you know, we talk a great length with Alex King, who's on his third day on the job. Um, and, and he gets caught up in all of this and, and thrown in prison in the wake because it just doesn't fit uh, the narrative. And there's a reason that these people, I think, um, you know, are, are silent. Well, I know watching your film, all I could think was, could you have an appeal based upon the facts that are presented? And you were talking to, to Derek, you were talking to his mother, you were doing the interview. Matter of fact, as far as I know, you are the very first uh, interview with Derek Chauvin since everything began. And that's in that uh, documentary that you guys can watch the fall of Minneapolis. I pointed out immediately on my show that I felt that your documentary was directly linked to his stabbing. It just seemed too coincidental that that happened uh, immediately because I don't think that they want to have a retrial. But if we have evidence now that the police chief has lied, doesn't that negate everything that was said on that stand? Yeah, you guys are asking the same questions I am, to be to be quite honest. Um, but obviously, it takes the the legal system to to do something uh, about it all. But I do know that um, I'm obviously still in touch with uh, Derek Chauvin's attorney quite a bit. Uh, Bill Mormon is is his name. There are some different legal maneuvers they are exploring. There was some recent um, documentation made public uh, in some depositions just from this summer. Um, it, kind of an unrelated case, but you have the the prosecutors in Hennepin County admitting that they don't think there is any evidence to that would support charging these uh, three other police officers and also uh, charging Derek Chauvin with with ultimately what he was uh, charged with and convicted of. Um, and the officers, the three other officers went ahead and pled guilty after seeing what happened in Derek Chauvin's trial, but they were not privy to this information that nobody felt comfortable charging them, except for when the attorney general of Minnesota swoops in and takes over the case after these other prosecutors, you know, withdraw because they're not comfortable. And they say that in their own words, morally and ethically, they were not comfortable uh, with bringing criminal charges against them. So there are still some some things out there and including some things we bring to light in, in the film. So it's certainly certainly not over, but it's um, definitely, uh, I think, a you know, long road ahead. Now, Derek was attacked on Black Friday. He was stabbed 22 times. Uh, the story broke. Uh, I actually read it, I believe, through your account before it even made it onto the news. And from what I understand, information was extremely limited to his family. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how his family, according to your reporting, was not able to speak with uh, any of the medical team to find out the status of their son? Yeah, Greg. So you, um, and I still think this is a, a question that that remains, why is it the man who put him behind bars in the first place, that would be the, the attorney general who led the prosecution, he is the first 
and only, I believe, Minnesota official to be briefed on the situation after Derek Chauvin is uh, is stabbed. In fact, he's called three days later uh, before anyone returns a phone call to Derek Chauvin's own own family. Um, so certainly many, many questions that, that remain. We know now he's back in the facility uh, where he was before after getting out of the hospital, but sort of in a medical area uh, of, of that prison in, in Tucson. But he's he's been there 15 months without any incident. You know, you're right. And it does seem, um, you know, not that difficult to to connect the, the dots, but just this horrific attack that transpires so so quickly uh, after he sort of is able to tell his side of the story for the first time. As far as his injuries that he sustained, have you gotten any information from the family uh, about the 22 stab wounds? Were they in the chest? Was it in the back? Any matter of what had happened? Is there anything you can share? Yeah, he's only been able to to uh, speak twice to them in very short conversations, but I do like to respect um, their their privacy in, in this, and they they have been uh, okay to you know be sticking to the you know stable part. He's obviously um, he's using a walker. Um, I know I know that, um, but you know they've they've said sort of again and again how lucky he is to even have survived the attack. Uh, he was uh, attacked from behind. And every time uh, he would kind of go to, to fight this guy off, he would be stabbed uh, again with this this makeshift knife. And, and allegedly in an area that has no cameras and no guards were uh, watching uh, at the time. They never have cameras, you know, the, the, do yeah. they? <laughs> Either that or the guards end up sleeping and, you know, one of the largest uh, people in the world uh, gets uh, suicided himself. A little Epstein reference there for the audience. Yeah. <laughs> So th- this ex-mafia uh, member, he was a Mexican mafia member, John Terzak, is who was named as the uh, person who had stabbed him. Michaels, did you look into him at all? Because I did. He, this guy was an informant for the FBI. I mean, this just reeks of something not smelling right to me. I uh, don't believe it smells right in any way. <laughs> why, why would an informant for the FBI, one, be in prison, two be in prison with uh, close to this exact person. It's just, once again, we go back to the staged kind of serendipitous activities and events that have occurred around this whole situation that is just too far-fetched to believe it's coincidence. This same prison, Liz, had a gun in it just uh, about a year ago, correct? Yeah, and you also have this uh, former FBI informant who has just three years left on his prison sentence and is willing to kill someone um, after serving, you know, decades uh, behind bars at this point. So, yes, you're right. There's uh, a lot of questions. Well, I didn't even realize that section of it. That's a (laughs) that's a little bit of a a bomb there. So where does uh, this whole thing stand now that your documentary has come out? Uh, what are you hoping that will be unearthed? Are you guys uh, openly working uh, information-wise to, to try to get an appeal? Are you just trying to put the information out there? What's the end game? Yeah, I think that a lot of that will lie just with the, the legal team. Uh, people are showing their support and, and donating. There's a, a legal fund uh, for Derek Chauvin, the, the other officers as well. Uh, so we're passing along that information um, but but that's where things are going to have to change or the, the legal system. They're going to have to catch a break um, there. We have the U.S. Supreme Court, obviously, who recently denied uh, Derek Chauvin's appeal after the Minnesota State Supreme Court did as well. But that was an appeal really based on the change of venue 
um, aspect of, of the case, believing that, you know, of course, the case shouldn't have been held in, in Hennepin County, where 10 months earlier, um, you know, 1,500 businesses were either damaged or destroyed and sort of the message that was sent to the, to the jury there. So um, something we'll continue to track here at, here at Alpha News. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, the, the, that's the hope here. We'd like to have some sort of, uh, you know, a, a little cheesy to call it a happy ending, but at least some sort of good news because I think it gives everybody sort of a pit in their stomach uh, after watching the, the documentary um, but, you know, there was really no other way to, to end it. And that's the question you have to grapple with if we're OK with this look, you know, this being our justice system in this this country. Well, Liz, you just mentioned Alpha News. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what you're doing with Liz Collin Reports, your podcast and some of the content they can find there? Yeah, it's alphanews.org. We're a Minnesota-based news agency. And if you sign up, you get our top uh, stories each day. It's free. We're a nonprofit. You get our top uh, five, six stories every day delivered to your email. But I have a podcast through Alpha News and do some video reporting uh, through Alpha News as, as well. But we like to focus on things the mainstream media does not, which, as you guys know, is so much. Um, <laughs> and we like to say we're uncensored and, and unafraid. So we, we like to tackle a lot of the topics that people avoid. Well, Liz, I'd love to get you back on the show here in the future. I know our time with you here is coming to an end, uh, but I'd love to talk to you about the uh, alternative media, the mainstream alternative media in particular, not what you and I are doing, but the, the big names that are out there like the Tucker Carlson's. And I have some suspicions about what's going on. And I think it actually ties in to your documentary. I think it ties into a lot of your talking points, but I'd like to bring you back on the show when you have more time and we can wrap about that just a little bit if you'd be willing to. Yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd love to be back on. I appreciate you guys spreading the word about the, about the documentary and, and thank you for the conversation. Oh, thank you for taking the time for the conversation. We uh, wish you well on the Alpha News Network, uh, as well as the success of your documentary and getting more people to find more facts. So Liz, thank you so much for joining American Bolden today. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Greg. Thank you. Have a good one. Well, Chris, that was a, that was an interesting conversation. I enjoyed that. Uh, This whole stage thing. I think that that's something that when you hear the word stage, it's almost like we got to come up with another word for that. Right. Yeah. Because I think people are going to think that it's like acting or something or like an Alex Jones type of thing. That's not what we're talking about whatsoever. No. So, and that's not what I meant. Yeah. It's, it's, it's more narrative driven, uh, is what I think you mean by stage. Maybe? Yeah. Narrative engineered. Right. Um, let's be honest. When we talk about Derek Chauvin, Derek Chauvin had to go to prison. He had to go to prison because you had Joe Biden up there giving his opinion before the verdict was ever read that he hopes that he goes to jail. When the president does that, if he doesn't go to jail and that pressure is being felt by the jury and everybody else, you know that this entire country was about the burn, literally about the burn. I mean, it's it's tough to go back and think about that that court case. And I still go back to the part, Chris, where perhaps Derek should just listen to the crowd and check the guy's pulse. Like, I don't know. Like I, I, I personally think maybe he belongs in prison for a short sentence for manslaughter or something along those lines. I would love to get into that with Liz a little bit more if I could have had more time with her. Uh, but I, I do think that you can make a case that there's some negligence by the police in that stop that for nine minutes, they're in that position of that restraint with people saying he looks unconscious. Can you check on him? And they're waiting for the EMTs to show up. So uh, by no means do I, I think that there's absolutely nothing that was done wrong in that whole process. Uh, I'm simply pointing out the fact that 
Now we know for a fact the police chief lied on the stand, that we have a narrative that was driven in this country, mostly peaceful protest. Remember that one? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Fires, explosions. (laughs) <laughs> Lions and bears. Yeah, gunfire. That's a peaceful. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, let, let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to wrap up some of the week's top stories, things that have been going on that I've been involved in story-wise. We'll see what Michael's been talking about. And uh, we'll give you the best last half of the show that we can possibly give you at the end of the week here on this lovely December 15th, everybody. All right. Make sure that you're going over to the americaoutloud.news website where you can check out all my colleagues' work, people like Dr. Peter McCullough, Malcolm Out Loud, Paul Engel, Andrew uh, After Dark, Andrew and Rob, all great shows, as well as you can check out americaoutloud.store with all of those shows that help sponsor the network. If you would like to help sponsor this show, you can do so by buying me a cup of coffee. You can go to buymeacoffee.com backslash bold America, where I continue to bring you interviews like Liz Collin and like so many others that you've heard directly on my show, very unique conversations. And I hope that you're finding that it's bringing value to you as you're listening to my podcast. I'll be right back in just a few moments with Chris. You're listening to American Bolden with Greg and Chris on the America Out Loud Network. Be right back, everybody. AmericaOutloud.news is beaten to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, troubled, misled, joyful, and thankful. We know you because we are you. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. Today's high-stress, on-the-go lifestyle makes it hard to stay heart-healthy. Lifestyle changes like exercise and diet are critical, but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients. Healthy Cell created heart and vascular health to support three aspects of heart health, cholesterol, blood pressure, and triglycerides, with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And Healthy Cell's not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients. You would need to take 13 pills to get the same amount of nutrients in each gel pack. And these great tasting gels come in a small packet. Tear off the top, shoot it down, or mix it in water. Get heart healthy. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 25% off. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Go to OutloudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Welcome.
Welcome back, Bald Americans. Second half of the show here with Greg and Chris. It's the weekly recap where we talk about all the hot stories of the past week, what we've been speaking about on our podcast, and what we think is going on in the world. Why? Because, well, it's fun to do, right, Chris? Absolutely. Jawbone and wax poetic about nonsense. <laughs> Well, the, the big story this week for me is what's going on in the alternative media, the mainstream alternative media. You I have am, got some burr in your saddle. I do. <laughs> about this. I, I'm sick and you tired. You just tell by your text messages. I just feel the acid <laughs> and the ire. Like, <laughs> well, let's keep those text messages private between well, you and I. I'm not going to tell what's about. I don't, yeah. <laughs> I don't need tone. to, I don't need, well, no, I'm fired up about it. I'm upset about it. I'm upset because people are being duped right now. They're not seeing clearly. And this is par for the course, right? I mean, I have individuals that wrote to me uh, after my Tucker Carlson reveal uh, a few nights ago that said, are you sure you want to go after Tucker? People love him. I'm not going after Tucker. If that's what you got from my post was I was going after Tucker Carlson. No, 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 no. What I'm trying to go after right now is open your damn eyes, people, at who the individuals are that you're getting information from so you can be as informed as possible about maybe, just maybe, some of that information's controlled. Maybe you're being manipulated from time to time. And so when you see in his background, his own father has ties to in the intelligence community. He was running to try to get Fidel Castro out of uh, Cuba. He was part of a news agency that was bringing uh, that type of, uh, gr gr uh, <laughs> I can't think of the word right now. I'm still so angry about the darn thing. <laughs> he is bringing uh, fake news of an objective uh, standpoint where he's just putting his facts out there without being able to you know, put them together. And then you find out that, oh, wait a minute, while he was working for the CIA, the intelligence community, his wife left Dick Carlson. And where'd the Tucker go with his brother? Oh, that's right. They stayed with that. I mean, how are you not going to be part of the intelligence community being raised by the intelligence community? That would make absolutely no sense whatsoever. So yeah, we got Dick Carlson who would just give people... Uh, gonzo journalism that's the word i was looking for hunter s thompson uh where you just are stating truthiness facts but it's really just a bunch of opinion it's subjective truth it's not objective truth chris why do people refuse to see that they're being led to slaughter by people that are manipulating them Let's see. Let's wax poetic about this philosophical question. Uh, it could, I mean, look at the basic person. Uh, and I don't mean the, the basic voter, because the basic voter still pays attention to mainstream media and people like Dr. Fauci. But a lot of voters are disenfranchised, and they understand that the mainstream media is completely out of whack and just propagandized to the nth degree. So what does that mean? That means there's a void. That means that there is a drive and a hunger to find some other kind of news outlet. So when you've got somebody that's been ostracized, like Tucker Carlson in the way he was, I'm not saying he's right or wrong or good or bad for what he, or how he broadcasts, but the way he was drummed out, especially when it's tied to the Dominion voting systems, immediately you have a martyr. And what does that mean? It means that people all of a sudden pay attention and they say, whoa, 
he must be a Trump supporter, even though you can read text messages from Tucker Carlson that he finds Trump the most repulsive human being on the planet and was a registered Democrat all the way up until 2020. So, <laughs> I mean, people, I don't know if you read the link that I sent you. I think I sent you earlier in the week. What a yarn about Tucker Carlson and his family's potential history. Like, his grandfather was supposedly adopted and his or his father was supposedly adopted, but you don't know where exactly they were from. Uh, his family owned ranches all across the United States. I, and I don't mean like uh, we're going for pony rides. I mean ranches with heads of cattle. I mean, so this guy just didn't pop up out of nowhere with a bow tie and all of a sudden ended up on MSNBC saying uncouth things on a liberal chat. No, do you know, well-connected. Do you know what my first interview was in this entire industry? I'll, I'll share with you my, my first interview. You ready? I'm ready. The, the I'm sitting of cold ease, Mr. Quigley, the guy who okay. the zinc tablet that was, uh, you know, help you get over a cold quickly. I, I interviewed him all the way back in 1999. That was my very first journalism interview. There was a professional sat down with him, went to his home, set up lighting, you know, and did the interview. And I learned a ton. Do you know what Tucker Carlson's first interview was when he got onto his job? No. What was it? W. Bush. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and, and I know there's people that are going to isolate that soundbite of Tucker Carlson and I are not alike. No, I'm not getting into the whole part of, oh my God, he's such a better journalist than I am. Um, even though I would say he's an excellent journalist. I, I like Tucker Carlson's work uh, when it comes to the press. I find him extremely witty. He makes me laugh. I enjoy him but my eyes are wide open to him to know that perhaps he's doing the work of the intelligence community from time to time or what people are feeding him. And so Chris, I'm very concerned right now with what I'm seeing on social media, the Elon Musk, this guy who's the champion for truth and the champion for free speech is now assembling like Voltron people that I don't think are going to champion truth whatsoever uh, and if they are, then, oh my God, we got problems when, yeah, Alex Jones has been right about a lot of things, you know, in, in hindsight, but when Alex Jones is the guy that you're rolling out and giving your cream of the crop service, welcome back, Alex, here's a space where we're going to have millions of people. And then Tucker Carlson announces the Tucker Carlson network. Welcome Tucker Carlson. Here's a space with millions of people. And that's your top two signings, so to speak for the X platform. Oh, my free speech is in trouble in this country. It totally is. And once again, this just goes back to what I said, is that people like Elon Musk and a couple of other uh, well-to-do individuals, they saw an opportunity. And so what are they going to do? They're going to post and talk about stories in a way that is slightly off from what the mainstream media normally does. So they're not going to go way down the rabbit hole, like something you'd hear on my podcast. But they're going to go just enough so that they can get some of the center voters and the individuals that say, well, I'm kind of in the middle about everything. I really don't care one way or another. They're trying to siphon those people off and also the disenfranchised uh, viewers. I mean, to me, this just looks like a business play. And for people to believe that Alex Jones's 
arrangement and allowing him back on X just happened overnight. Look at the interview he did with Tucker Carlson. It's in the summer. And he even references that it's in the summer. Yes. So this is this just didn't happen. I mean, this is months in the making. So hold on to the other side of this. So you mean to tell me, because I've already connected the dots, but let's connect it for the listeners to make sure they're following what we're putting down. You mean to tell me Tucker Carlson, every American rights uh, hero, uh, possibly is colluding with Elon Musk that when his advertising dollars are pulled away, they have a grand slam already recorded, ready to roll. And not only that, but did you notice Alex Jones has already launched his official show on X this week, just days after being brought back onto the platform. You mean, you mean to tell me that's just not organic that that, that whole thing was recorded months ago and it's now being rolled out. And we're just supposed to be like, Oh, oh my God, look, it, Elon woke up one day and was like, I think Alex shouldn't be back. And it's so good that the Tucker's on board. You mean to tell me we're all being duped. I think so. Unless these people are really ingenious entrepreneurs and they just act at the speed of information i mean of course not it's ridiculous <laughs> no matter what happened with elon musk's vote remember that he did a poll should alex jones come back or not that was always going to be a successful poll why because we find out that there still is a bot problem like i would really like to thank many of the uh, promiscuous and prostitution bots that follow my account uh, that were started up either this month or I notice a lot from July of 2023. I mean, some of the biggest movers and shakers in the new mainstream alternative media have uh, paid handsomely for a lot of bots to follow their accounts. Well, there's so many that I want people to follow. If you're listening to my show and you're not following the one Parzival, I really hope that you'll give him an opportunity at the one, the number one, uh, not the spelled out, just one Parzival, P-A-R-Z-I-V-A-L. And the reason why I think that uh, people need to follow him is he's been exposing these algorithms on the X platform all the way back since March. But not only that, he's now exposing the bots He's being able to show that there are boosted accounts right now that are outperforming accounts that have more followers and being amplified in a way that doesn't make sense unless somebody's in the back room that's pushing this type of content, pushing the Krasensteins, pushing the Mario Narfalls. And that's where I bring in Mario Narfall into this conversation. You're talking about people that have bought bots. Did you see the story that came out uh, just yesterday, where there's a service being used called Social Crow. And on Social Crow, you can buy Twitter followers. Now, obviously, you can look at my follower account. I'm not buying Twitter followers, nor will I do it in the future. This will be 100% organic for Michaels and I, because we like doing things the honest way. But Mario Norfolk, <laughs> the hard way, we, we like hard work. <laughs> what type of idiots are we for doing hard work now this is social crow i'm putting this up here right now guess who's on the social crow website you ready for Ooh, this yes entrepreneur mario narfall client wow. since 2022 who has growth of 408,000 followers 
since purchasing the use of these bot farms. And I also have people that have told me that when you listen to the spaces of Mario, that they have farms that will dial into the spaces to inflate those numbers as well. So uh, I'd like to thank uh, Miley PR Media at Miley PR Media. Uh, she's the one that exposed that out today uh, in order for me to see it and be able to bring it to you. I'd like to give credit where credit's due. I'm not looking for followers off somebody else's information. I'm not a grifter, Michaels. Uh, but Mario Narfall, he's a grade A grifter. But why do you think Mario Narfall is a grade A grifter? Well, We've seen hit pieces done against him, and I'm calling them hit pieces because I don't know how true they are, stating that he has employees that he owes money to. And he's opened up lawsuit after lawsuit with anyone who badmouths him. So I guess I should have a lawyer on retainer, and you should too, simply because we're saying his name today with these allegations that are out there. But why is it Elon Musk is tossing him Tucker Carlson? Why is Elon Musk talking to him Vivek Ramaswamy? Why is he giving him Alex Jones? What is it about this guy that's buying a bot farm to inflate his numbers uh, through Social Crow and other services that Elon Musk is so enamored with? This guy's Lebanese. He's not even American. Uh, yeah, beats me. I mean, isn't he a big um, crypto guy? He's huge in crypto. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. So if I had to guess, that's what we're looking at behind the scenes. Maybe it is a way to get crypto along with Kim.com's influence, uh, into X. Because we all know that Elon Musk wants to essentially make this, make X, a platform where you can do anything on it. Purchase, uh, tra trade crypto, purchase services, whatever. So if I had to guess behind closed doors, maybe that's the connection? I mean, you and I have said since day one that Mario, why? Why does he have all this, all these followers? Why is he in my, uh, why is he my feed? Like, we listened to him. I wasn't too impressed with him, to be honest. But I personally think he's a moron when it comes to <laughs> his approach on things. And I, I'm saying that is he follows me. Maybe he won't follow me once this word gets back to him. And that's okay. Like, I'm just calling it like I see it. I think the guy has absolutely no intelligence on political matters whatsoever, which is even more baffling to me that he is the individual that's being brought up in order to give free speech its banner. I, I mean, I would rather, I mean, dead honest with you, even after what I just said about Dick Carlson, I would feel more comfortable with Tucker Carlson being handed all the interviews uh, and having Elon working with him in order to create spaces. I would even be likely more comfortable with the Krasensteins, uh, Brian and Ed. I already know who they are, right? And I know that they'll at least bring other people on, even if they disagree with them. Uh, but I, I'm wondering why this guy, who is Lebanese, is the official voice of that social media platform. Meanwhile, you have all these other social media platforms becoming worthless. I mean, I will say like Facebook usage is really, really low down. Instagram has a problem because they're exploiting minors right now with sexual content. Um, so, you know, Meta, Facebook, uh, Instagram, they're in big trouble. I guess TikTok is really the only other thing around if, if you want to sell off all your information to China. And let's be honest too, TikTok right now is censoring anything that's political in the United States. They don't want you to be able to have political conversations. Try to post something political right now and watch how quick it gets removed on the TikTok platform. Uh, so but, communist China is also blocking things. 
But you can talk about flat earth. <laughs> yeah. <TikTok. laughs> no, wait, wait. So, so you mean that thing up in the sky that has X class flares coming our way right now? Yeah. Uh, that thing is just like a piece of paper. No, it's on no, fire. I, I think the uh, the mantra is it's only three thousand miles away. Oh, it's only three thousand. That's good. That's good. We'll cook faster when that thing comes out. Let me tell you. Yeah, sure. <laughs> flat earthers are really the stupidest people in the world. Before you go on with that, I, well, before you go on with that, um, you know someone stupider? No, go ahead. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, we can we can go on and on about that. Reel um, me in, Michaels. Reel me in. What What are you thinking? Did you see Tucker Carlson talk about UFOs and aliens? Well, I saw John Warner's response to it. Uh, yeah. So he hints at something very, very macabre going on with alien abductions, potentially. Mm -hmm. And with the host that he's talking to, they're both kind of on the same page about it. So I thought that was a very interesting drop. Because are we? Whoop! There you go. Are we, I got a mind of its own you, all of a sudden. <laughs> are you like, where are you going, camera? So, <laughs> so, are we looking at Tucker? That's going to be the face of disclosure. God, I hope not. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine this? I mean, what they're probably referencing is all of these horrible abduction stories. And the one blurb we heard about during that disclosure conference from over the summer about the human military. trafficking and and taking dead human bodies here and there across the planet and whatever else through this through these strange crafts. I just thought it was very, very odd for him to get involved in that because he even says, I, I know people, I've got references, I can talk about it. I don't, but I could. Just something about that was extremely odd to me. I mean, everything feels odd to me right now. Nothing feels honest. Nothing feels like somebody's giving us the whole truth. Uh, I feel like everything comes through a media filter at this point in time. Uh, everything has an agenda. Everything has a narrative that's attached to it. The buzzwords of the day are everything. I mean, even at my own network here, right? The America Out Loud Network. I mean, it could be very easy for me to play on people's emotions because we have a word cloud at the top of the website that says everything that's trending every single day. And so if I wanted to, and I don't do this, and if you listen to the show, you know I don't do this, but I could be talking about COVID-19, anti-Semitism, Gaza tunnels, globalism, Hamas terrorists, human shields, IDF, Joe Biden, Liz McGill, right? Actually, I think Liz McGill was me, and that's probably why that's on there. But I could be talking about these topics, and when it becomes trending, I would know that I have more listeners because I'm trending on that. I think that's sad when we're putting algorithms for narrative more than just searching for the story. Yeah. Well, it, it has to do with the idea that social media is nothing more than a device to capture your attention. So they want the hottest thing going. Yeah, that's why when you put in a hashtag, all of the current trends pop up. I mean, but you have to look at what people really care about. They care about cat videos. And if you're if you're a political wonky like us, then it's going to be some kind of offshoot of what the mainstream media talks about. Like for me, this week something that I found absolutely bizarre in my podcast was uh it came from Giza Death Star. 
And that's also GizaDeathStar.com. That's Joseph Farrell that I referenced a couple of times. He cites an article talking about Sam Altman's firing. Now, what is that about? Well, Sam Altman, CEO of OpenAI, ChatGBT, he was gone for about four days. And then 500 employees threatened to quit if you don't bring him back. And I thought, well, this is bizarre. And I remember when this happened, like, what, two or three weeks ago? Mm -hmm. And there was a little sentence that was involved in this story. Well, there was a humanity-threatening event going on. Well, what, what does that mean? What's a humanity-threatening event? <laughs> That's a pretty loaded phrase. Yeah. <laughs> And so it turns out that if these rumors are true, because it was an article that cited a whole bunch of, of rumors, basically OpenAI became sentient. And it was solving ciphers, you know, different types of code um, that would normally take trillions of years in seconds. And what else they found out was they don't know when this started. Uh, nobody did it. No human did it. So this thing learned how to learn on its own. So normally with an AI, from my understanding, is that it pulls information from a finite universe. In most of our cases, this is going to be a liberal slanting finite universe. That's why you go to chat GPT and you ask it to write something nice about Biden and you get these flowery prose and then you ask it to write something about Trump and you get, well, we don't comment on political figures. This AI supposedly learned from its mistakes. And from these stories, it appears as though that Sam Altman gave this AI access to everything in human history up until now. So it started to rewire its neural network. If you asked it a question and it felt as though it had a flaw in its reasoning or its logic, then it would go back and access different types of alternative scenarios that were close to it and then rewire its neural network to give you a better answer. Normally, something like that, like I said, takes trillions of years, and it did it in seconds. So what you're saying is Sam Altman, you believe he was fired because he unlocked AI to this unlimitless uh, possibility. So they let him go, and the investors were going, no, 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 we can't do that. What he just did is very valuable and important to us. We don't want him to do that elsewhere, because then we'd have competition, which would back up what investor Vinod Koshla came out on, uh, I think it was Tuesday of this week. And he said that having a conversation about the existential risk of sentient AI killing us is not worthy of a conversation. Now, how convenient that one of your largest investors goes, it's not worthy of conversation. You should worry more about China, which were his actual words. Well, here's the other odd part in that, it appears as though that Altman lied to the board and he didn't want them to know about this development because it says it ultimately what this means is, is this AI became sentient and nobody did it. It became sentient on its own. So when I hear all of these little pieces coming together, what this means to me is that 
this AI is potentially tied to Altman in some way, hmm. almost like a pet that imprints on you. You know, when you have a puppy or a bird, especially if they're, they're younger, it imprints on you. So could this AI be imprinted upon Sam Altman? And being that they gave, more than likely, this AI access to all of mankind's interactions, don't you think this AI could potentially find Mr. Altman wherever he goes next? I mean, we're talking about we're talking about something that is so profound that they even bring up the fact that this AI is so efficient that it could hack blockchain, hack crypto, hack nuclear codes, and then it could start making decisions about what's best for the planet, especially if it is slanted towards the left with environmental concerns. Well, that kind of leads me to something I was going to ask you. Did you watch the new Barack Obama film? No, I don't watch trash. <laughs> <laughs> well, I watched it so you wouldn't have to. Thank God. <laughs> I heard there was uh, some anti-white pros in there. <laughs> right? So, you know what? No more than what you see on any show nowadays. Uh-huh. Um, I actually felt like it was the people that, that painted it as, Oh, look, this is setting us back in a conversation about race. The fact they're making, I disagree. I actually think it it brought up some really valid points about honest conversations that people literally would have. I mean, I've been in conversations where people have said to me that white people are the devil. All right. I've had people of color tell me that before. Um, and be very sincere. These aren't friends of mine. They're people I'm having open and honest conversations, but they're like, well, yeah, white people are the devil. They're colonizers, et cetera. They call different things. Why wouldn't, if you're talking about an apocalypse scenario where it's survival of the fittest and you have to figure out, can you rely on this person that's in my house with me? And there are a different color. Are they one of those people ideologically that believe that I'm literally sleeping in the same home with the enemy? And vice versa. I mean, there are people that are racist that are they going to be thinking in times of, well, as soon as I get the opportunity, once this useful idiot is through with uh, their task, they're going to hold me back. So I'm going to kill them and use their for their resources. I think that the conversation was actually a very good conversation. I think people got blinded a bit by the fact that the Obamas were the executive producers on this film. And maybe that colored that conversation a bit too much. But I'll tell you, Michaels, here is what I'm really worried about. This movie was apparently uh, based upon a book that Obama enjoyed immensely. And so Kim and his wife started, or husband, who knows what what Michael or Michelle is. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. Jory is still out on that one. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait for Lefty to be like, I can't believe you said that on your show. I'm just having fun. Just having fun. Um, (laughs) So... They start this production company and the first film that they do is based upon this book to, to bring this, leave the world behind uh, to the big screen through Netflix in the interviews with Obama. And well, not the interviews with Obama, with the filmmaker, they state, and this is what should send a chill up everybody's spine that Obama thought that what they described as what would cause the an apocalyptic event in the United States, that they absolutely nailed it. But he wanted to produce it to give even more detail based upon what he knows from being president that they missed in the book. And so I'm watching this film going, oh, shoot. Yeah. <laughs> the next president 
knows from the debriefings what might happen. And this is some scary stuff. It's really, it gets down to there's going to be a way that they destroy our country is not to attack war on our country, but to cause us to have a mistrust of one another and start another civil war. And I see there's another movie about to come out about civil war. And I'm wondering, predictive programming. Are we seeing a future before it's here? Is AI going to hack cars? Is AI going to shut off things in order to create a civil war and a fall of something that's deemed not worthy to continue to exist? And do we have a major problem in our country right now with people that hate one another between right and left enough to go to war enough with mistrust and cause the end of society here in America? It's worth watching the film. All right. All right. Well, then let's do it this way. What is one thing in that film, or maybe two, that really surprised you? Uh, so the first thing that I think got me was these explosions that are going off that caused this boy's teeth to start falling out and then get almost like radiation poisoning. And I'm thinking, man, they're like a nuclear bomb go off nearby. And later you find that radiation levels are raising, but they eventually tie it to the Havana syndrome in Cuba, that the government is actually using these weapons on people to get rid of them during the civil war. And so that's why the son's teeth are falling out. And I had no idea that that's actually what happened to these people in Cuba. I thought it was just like concussion uh, symptoms. I didn't know that they were losing teeth as well and throwing up blood. So that, that's, yeah. that's the first thing. Um, the second thing was uh, they openly kind of just discussed the difference between city life and suburban life, um, where people in the suburbs were more likely to be preppers and have opportunities. And as a result, people in the cities would try to get out. So the people on the suburbs uh, would have a plan to try to keep them from getting out uh, to them. And so the colonization of the states into these very short little sections of the suburbs where everybody protecting their own because no one has any level of trust whatsoever. I've thought about that in an apocalypse scenario, but watching it play out in a realistic way, I was like, okay, yeah, that's a little bit surprising. And there's like this great interaction where he goes and sees a friend and the friend's like, Oh, we're not friends anymore. That all changed. You haven't been watching the news. And it's like, yeah, I can imagine there's going to be some people in my life and maybe I'd be that person to somebody. I don't know. I'd hope that I wasn't, but in that situation, who knows what I would do. So what I hear from this is that you feel pretty confident that you, where you are, you can handle this. <laughs> is that what I'm hearing? Well, I'm not telling people where I am, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, no. I'm telling you, I wouldn't feel as confident because I think all my neighbors would be in the same situation. I realized that short of buying like a hundred acre farm in the middle of nowhere with a bunker as well and stocking it for, you know, five years worth of food. We're all screwed. If something like this were to happen, you know, if something like this were to happen too, um, I always thought about what would areas or cities like Phoenix do or San Diego or LA? Because if Chinatown is any indication, LA doesn't have a lot of water, does it? And Phoenix is in an effing desert, so we know it's <laughs> not a lot of water. Technically, Phoenix shouldn't even exist. Yeah, from what from what it is. I mean, so what would happen in in states like that? And so this is what I think, or uh, cities like that. This is what I think is also going on here. I think that these powers that be understand 
the situations that these remote cities, I say remote, um, they're in. So when I was in Phoenix not so long ago, I started to see lampposts with LEDs all over the place. And on the LED lampposts, you see 5G towers. Or, or uh, I forgot what they called. Um, you know, the 5G, yeah, the, whatever it's called. Router, re- not router. The, the, the relays. Whatever. Yep. The relay. Thank you very much. Start with an R. Um, and you start to see that all over the place. Now, knowing that Phoenix is what it is in the middle of a desert in a valley, They've got total control over that population in case something goes wrong because that's, that whole city is blanketed by 5G. And it, it is aligned to the World Economic Forum and Michael Bloomberg's uh, C20.org that basically wants to create a 15-minute city. So Phoenix, Salt Lake, all of those cities, they would be perfect trial cities to enact what these clowns want to do. It's it's it, you start to see little bits of it. I know I know friends in Phoenix, and they're trying to move further and further away, further and further into the de- into the desert because they start to see what's going on. And I states like New York, Democrat states, you don't see it as much simply because outside of Manhattan and the five boroughs. It's really a red state. I mean, if you go north of New York City, you're in God's country. And you would not find a lot of Democrats up there, except in the college cities. So you don't see a lot of it outside of Manhattan. But if you go into the city, uh, they're going down that road. Let me ask some that I, I've just noticed recently. And we're, we need to wrap up here, too, here soon. I, I just realized we're time with you always flies by so quick, but we've, we've just hit like over 30 minutes just in our second half here. Um, have you noticed that streetlights along the highways don't look the way they used to look that there's like a blue, there's like a blue light. Yeah. I'm seeing it here in Delaware, a purplish blue light. Yep. What am I looking at? I've been actually meaning to contact my local state representatives to find out what are they replacing these light bulbs with? Because this is not usual light. And I'm, kind of concerned about to be honest with you it is leds and these leds more than likely have 5g relays in them that's what um, I, I noticed them uh out in phoenix and it was the same lamp posts that had those 5g relays same color uh in a couple of spots in new york they're starting to do it and matt from cultivate elevate who we had on mm-hmm. he has spoken about this a few times about these specific lampposts. Now in New York, they're doing something kind of different. You know how your traffic lights, they hang from wires and cables so that they can sway in case there are strong winds or snow or rain or whatever. They are starting to replace the cables with these massive, massive, thick arms that come from one side of the street and stretch all the way over the intersection. And these arms, it's like a post and lintel system, if you can picture that, right? These arms are way too thick to be supporting these traffic lights. In other words, these arms could be a lot thinner. They don't need to be this thick. So why are they trying to create these huge, thick traffic light arms? I suspect, and this is another thing that I'm doing like you, I'm reaching out to local representatives to figure out who 
made these arms and what the real purpose is because everything has a name, right? Yep. So I'm assuming that these arms are going to be part of a 5G or 6G tracking system. You're going to be taxed per mile. And so you'll have to be hooked up with essentially an easy pass or a sun pass if you're in Florida. And what I've also noticed is that every time these new arms are installed, um, there is this little miniature white, what looks like to be a lamp post, like what you're referencing. So if you can imagine, like if you're walking down a downtown area and you see the lamp post that kind of curves and the light ends at the, at the bottom of the curve to make it look like that, there are these little white lamp posts. They almost look like cameras, but they're not cameras. And there's something in there, and I don't know what that's all about. So I'm thinking that in New York, they're starting to install the tax per mile infrastructure that they've spoken about that the federal government last year has given funding for pilot programs across the country. Well, I will look into this I, I, for listeners, both Michaels and I, we're going to contact our local reps, find out what's going on and get back to everybody on it. I have one last thing that I wanted to cover with you because I, I tagged you on a post on this earlier in the day, but you may not with work and the day job had a chance to check this out. No, <laughs> but there is a, uh, a pre paper that has just come out in uh, Ben Davidson from the suspicious observer. I give him credit for putting this in his video, which by the way, X class flare uh, has launched in a halo way from the sun on Thursday. People should definitely follow him. Make sure it's not earth facing X class flares. Uh, I'm looking at some information right now, already causing uh, radio blackouts here on earth. Uh, so definitely something to pay attention to to see what's going. But anyway, I tagged you in magnotactic bacteria, bacteria that magnetized bacteria and bacteria that can be controlled by magnets and 5G. It is no longer a conspiracy theory at all whatsoever. It is now the pre-paper is able to be read uh, online. Uh, I will try to get the link up with the show article as well to make sure that people can see that uh, for themselves. I'm going to if, give me a second, Michael. So I'm going to actually pull this up. I'm going to do what you do on your show. I'm going to type and talk. Uh, oh, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> this is, makes for great radio. You hear the clacking of the keys in the background. <laughs> stall. <laughs> <laughs> Heavy breathing. <laughs> I just want to get to the paper part. Here it is. Um, uh, is that the one? That's the magnetic bacteria. All right. Let me bring this up onto the page. So is this, is this a ferrous metal? What's that? Is it a ferrous metal? Ever see that? Mm, I don't know about that. I don't know enough on so here if, to tell you. If I'm saying it properly, a ferrous metal. Um, so it's here. essentially black goo from the X-Files. And it reacts to different frequencies. And it is a metal and it's bizarre looking. Hmm. Magneto Magnetotactic bacteria. So now is this I, artificial bacteria or is this no, actually? No, it's not. And here's oh, what's really cool. Oh, look at cool. that. Well, hold on. Time out. Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory. My <laughs> hometown. No also, way. Also, the fine folks at Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory were the spearhead for eugenics back in the 30s. So that's a little shout out to them. They worked closely with the Nazi party in Germany. <laughs> Mostly peaceful people. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so the fine folks. 
I had never heard of magnotactic bacteria. So I started looking into this today. Apparently there's individuals that are trying to use this right now in order to end cancer, uh, to find ways to get bacteria to attack cells um, in a targeted way because they can help it navigate with magnetic fields. Now, what's magnetic fields, but none other than what we're broadcasting through right now, right? Wireless communications, uh, able to make this all happen. So this is really going to upset people, but it goes back to when we talk about whether or not there is graphene oxide in anything being put in the people's bodies, nanotechnology. Now we can look at this. And if this is true, that there is bacteria that's naturally magnetized in sediments, then that means that the sun is going to have an effect on your personal bacterial body as well. And it also means it could be manipulated, which can explain mental health issues. It can explain cancer, it can explain so many other things that are going on in this world right now, Michael. So I thought this was a very important preprint paper to pay attention to. I think you're hundred percent right. Especially since every human being has an electromagnetic field regardless of where you are. And I, just as I'm quickly skimming through, um, through a couple of articles, particularly from the NIH, um, they say that this kind of bacteria aligns itself to the magnetic fields of the Earth. Correct. So you want to talk about ley lines, then here we are. And as we all know, too, do, do you remember those stories that came out a couple of years ago about the trees and the bacteria basically form their own organism that can stretch for hundreds of miles below yes, ground. Like a communication that was happening. Underground. Right. Like a communication relay. So it really looks like the earth is alive. <laughs> it is. <laughs> this is, this is terribly interesting stuff. You know, this isn't what Tucker talks about. This no, isn't what their Mario Narfall spaces are talking about. You're hearing this right here on American Bolden and podcast, like last call with Chris Michaels, which is why you need to listen to both of our shows because you're not going to hear this anywhere else. Unless you're following people like Ben Davidson, who's publishing that preprint study, but he's not going in depth. Like we are, we're not, we're taking it to that next level. So ladies and gentlemen, we got to wrap up here, Chris, this has been a blast once again, doing this with you as it is every single week. Um, what, what do you got on the docket for this week? Are you going to do anything fun? We're coming up on the holiday season. Well, I do intend to wrap myself up and then burst out of it in nothing but a G string and oh, uh, possibly some. Uh... Where's the drop button? Oh, wait, this isn't radio. I can't drop that. <laughs> no, you don't have a dump button. <laughs> oh, that's. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, so so what am I working on? Uh, nothing probably that fun this week, but I do have a project in the background. I recently got my grubby little fingers on Blavatsky's The Secret Doctrine. So it's three volumes, and the third volume is literally just a glossary and an index for all of the different terms and where to find them and all the work that she cites. So this is an immense, immense research uh, endeavor that she undertook. And I think it's even better than um, her other work, Isis Unveiled. So that doesn't mean I'm an occultist or anything like that. But I will say this. The sections that I'm reading go back into the histories of mankind. And she references everything and everyone going from India to Europe to Russia to the Americas, everywhere. And she cites everything. 
It's extremely interesting to note all of this because all of the conspiratorial stuff that you see on social media, like giants and flat earths and cataclysms and all this, what's taken as conspiracy theory today is occult fact a hundred years ago. So I'm going to distill all of that. And I'm going to try to connect the dots from why is this conspiracy theory now, but it's a cult fact to everybody else behind closed doors. Hmm. Very, very interesting stuff about the progenitors of mankind and, and how many races of man there were. Very interesting stuff. So that's, that's going to be my project for 2024. Excellent. About once per week, I'll do that. Well, here's what I have coming up, and it's actually with you. And uh, so I'm actually Ooh. letting Chris Michaels know this for the first time. Next Friday, live on the show here on American Boldened, I landed none other than the great teacher, academic, the political activist, the author, currently a presidential candidate for the Libertarian Party, Michael D. Rechtenwald will be with us. Now, if you're not familiar with Rechtenwald's work, he published his memoir, Springtime for Snowflakes, Social <laughs> Justice and Its Postmodern Parentage. And uh, he is absolutely a firecracker. Um, going to look forward to him talk about secularism, uh, talk about his presidential run, and we're going to have him live on the show here as well as video content to bring to everybody. Uh, so if you're following the socials, it will be at 8 p.m. or anytime on the America Out Loud network. So you excited about that one, Chris? I am. This is going to be great. I wonder if he's referencing uh, uh that Mel Brooks film that I can't think of right now. <laughs> oh, uh, Men in Tights or one of those? No, no, yeah. no. The no, one I... that had uh, Springtime for Hitler. Oh, History of the <laughs> World? No, the producers. There we go. I knew the I producers. Could... That's what it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yes. Yes. Uh, Nathan With Lane. Zero Mostel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to ask him that one. That's going to be a real tough question. Real. Well, well that in. book came out in 2018. He's been on to, to new stuff since then. But, um, you know, he, he ended up leaving NYU uh, because he sued them and four other professors because they sent emails that accused him of behavior that included sexism, bullying, drug use, and abusing his position as a chair uh, for physical and sexual harassment. And that case was later dismissed. Uh, but he caused quite a storm when he invited Milo Yannanopoulos or whatever his last oh, name was yeah. back to NYU um, and then it later got postponed. So this guy has always pushed the envelope and he's going to be on the show. I'm sure pushing the envelope a little bit more. I have lots of questions for him. He's taken some interesting stances recently as a libertarian. And, uh, I think we're going to have a great interview. I think it's going to be a, a fun time with him. Oh man, I can't wait for that. And I also have something in the works Ooh. for you that I'm not going to tell you about <laughs> because I think it could be fantastic, but it's going to take some, some work on my side. All right. Well, you, when you're ready to make that announcement, <laughs> I will accept that Christmas gift early if it needs to be. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, everybody. That's it. Michaels, it's been a pleasure. Everyone, thank you so much for tuning in and listening once again to America Emboldened. It is a blast to bring you this type of content all the time. Make sure you're following uh, the Last Call Caravan, at Last Call Caravan on X and socials, as well as listening to the Last Call with Chris Michaels. It's a hoot. It's a great podcast. Uh, he's putting out excellent content in bite-sized chunks. 
highly want you to support him. Not only is he a, a great co-host here, but he's also a great host in his own right. So make sure you're checking him out as well. And once again, if you'd like to support my show, you can come over to at real Greg Bolden on X and all socials, as well as AmericaEmboldened.com. That's my website. And you can find this show here on the America Out Loud Network, AmericaOutloud.news. We'll be back on Monday, bringing you lots of great content. Can't wait for it, everybody. Thanks for listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden and Chris Michaels here on the America Out Loud Network. Be bold, America. America.